talk a little bit about JobDAO, what it is, and uh, like super cool. quick, like, 30 seconds. Joe Grace actually is, is it's now called. So uh, so I'm I'm David. I'm co-founder of a project called Joe Grace. Uh, it is a tool for anybody be, to be able to launch contests on any EVM chain, uh, and you can use it for anything from governance to bounties to prediction games to hackathons to grants uh, to putting the bachelor on chain. <laughs> so lots of different options um, for how you can structure these contests um, uh, to build your community and build community engagement. Uh, I also write at davidphelps.substack.com. Uh, I ship post on Twitter. Uh, I think that's good enough. I don't know. Anything else we need to know? All right. So now, now yeah, let, let's now let, let, let's dive into the into the in the tough uh, ideas. Like as Taki yeah. said, tokenless yeah. governance. Tokenless governance is 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 a super. Uh, interesting subject that we've uh, we've never really explored at least in our cool. system uh, i just basically asked uh, the, the the question so i would love to hear everybody's thoughts about how we can we can go about that outside of the traditional model that you know we have a token in a dao or a community or you know uh, a, a tokenized community and we try to please everybody by doing stuff paying people for stuff and keeping people happy so how do we go about that? And is a token really necessary in that equation, as we've seen uh, so far in, in the majority of cases? Yeah, so, so the context here, right, is I think everyone's referring to this thing I wrote uh, at, at Choke Race called a post-token future. Uh, and, and the idea of a post-token future is you don't necessarily need a token um, for, for your governance. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that, um, but then I think the question is, well, what does it look like without a token? And, you know, let me give you some examples. Like, Blackhand, uh, amazing esports DAO, just, you know, came in third at Apex Legends, one of the biggest esports tournaments in the world. And they did that because their DAO is made up of top players who all wanted to collectivize so they could be able to share, I believe, share, you know, the income together. So instead of having that, you know, all go to an extractive overlord uh, who owns the team, they own the team, and they get to share it with themselves. If they had just let any token holder play in the tournament, do you think they would have gotten in third, you know, at Apex Legends? Like, no, it's like, it, 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 it makes sense because it's a talent collective of the top people there. Boys Club, no token, right, uh, is killing it right now with events everywhere, uh, and it's all based on vibes, you know? They really are curating a community based on who's going to be valuable, who's going to be able to contribute meaningfully, uh, who's going to, you know, uh, who they want to be, you know, part of the squad. And, you know, yeah, there's always issues with permissioning, etc. But the nice thing about this space is you can just fork it, you know, <laughs> like if you don't like if someone doesn't take you in and you don't like it, go create your own community uh, with your own standards. And that's and that's, you know, how things should be done. Um, and so, you know, I think there are actually our models for, for what tokenless DAOs look like. And they're actually the most successful DAOs <laughs> a lot of the time uh, as well. Um, and so, you know, I've stopped using the word DAO. I use the word like modular community now because DAO has just come to mean too many different things. Uh, but yeah, within that framework, there, there's all sorts of different ways that you might set up, you know, your your structure. So what we build at Joke Race is like uh, an allow list system for who can submit to a contest and then who can vote in a contest. And so, you know, every contest is really these two periods, a submission period and a voting period. So if you imagine uh, traditional DAO governance, you know, the submission period, uh, you would submit two proposals saying, 
yes, we agree, no, we don't, right? And the prompt for that contest would be whatever the full proposal was. And then uh, the voting period, everyone would go and vote, yes or no, right? And so that would be, you would replicate traditional dot governance using us for that. But the much more exciting thing is like when you start to invert it and you start to imagine, well, maybe we let tons of people, you know, submit and only a few can vote. And then you have a hackathon, right? Tons of people can submit projects or grants process. Tons of people can submit applications for grants or bachelor on chain. Tons of men can go and say why they want to date this woman. And then on the other side, you just have like a jury, right, of five people, ten people who vote. And so we let you customize it completely. But, but the main way that we let you customize it is through these allow lists. And so those allow lists, literally just a CSV, you know, it's just addresses in column A, voting power in column B. And then we put that into a Merkle tree in a smart contract, and it's fully on-chain. And so you can do full on-chain voting, all the things that you've done in your favorite DAOs, uh, on any, really, you know, basically any L2 you want. And you can do all of this, right, without any token uh, necessary. And so, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't say that what would be built is anti-token. You could still make tokens the basis of your allow list, and that's totally fine. You could also do all sorts of new things with that. You could make tokens the basis of your allow list, but it's the duration of time you've held a token rather than how many tokens you hold. And now it's about, okay, who's been involved in our project the longest, right? That they've held these tokens the longest. That's the basis. Or you could get rid of tokens completely. And if you're like a DeFi project, and, and so we have, a, we have a DeFi project that's going to be using us for governance, and it's like they're going to do the you know, amount uh, that you've deposited into the, into the DeFi protocol, times the duration that you've had those deposits, right? And so it's like, okay, this is really complex, but like, what does it mean? It means like, well, one, at any given moment when they're making a decision, it's going to whoever the current most active users are, who are currently providing liquidity, right? Uh, it's not someone who used to provide it to get a token, now has power and isn't doing shit for the protocol. It's actually someone who's like there, right, and is active. Um, it also means that the OGs are getting the most power, so you can't flash attack this. You can't just suddenly go deposit a ton of money into the protocol and suddenly, you know, assume that you can take it over and flash attack the treasury. Can't happen, right? Um, and it means there's an incentive. There's an incentive in place that you want to keep depositing in order to accrue more governance power over time. And so it's actually like aligning their incentives with, you know, their users as well. Like that's, that's what tokenless governance, right, can, can look like. I, I really like the DeFi model and just because that was the one you brought up last, let's, you know, I'd like yeah, to discuss yeah, yeah. that one first. Um, yeah. it, how, like the, if I'm putting liquidity, I don't necessarily know anything around you know, DeFi. I just I have a lot yeah. of money. Yeah. So my voice is going to be the largest, even though yeah. maybe I'm not active. Maybe I haven't earned it. I'm never talking to anybody. I took a, you know, I took my inheritance, put it in yeah. the protocol, and then, yeah. you know. Yeah. For sure, right? And, and, and it is still a form of plutocracy, right? Like, you're still giving, you know, power to the richest members of the system as well. But I think, like, that, that's also where, you know, it's really important to differentiate, differentiate what kind of decisions you're making, right? I think if you're saying you know, what features do you want us to build at this protocol? It's probably good to get as many voices in there as possible, right? And it probably is good to say, hey, the people who are using us the most, maybe they should have the greatest say because, like, you know, they're, they're our prime users for, like, what we're building, right? And you could also make the opposite case. You could say, actually, we're keeping out a bunch of people who aren't using us because we haven't built these features, so let's try to, you know, prioritize people who aren't using us because those are the markets we need to reach, right? There's lots of different ways you could claim it, but I think, like, generally it's good to get 
as many voices as possible in that kind of decision. If you're making like, you know, a hefty decision about how you diversify your treasury and like what the timeline is for that and what the vesting schedule is, right? And like what kind of interest you're looking at and what the risk ratio is, you know, like all of that stuff, you probably don't want as many people participating in that process as possible. You probably want a few people who are like paid delegates who are like have worked in finance for years, understand the implications of this, are doing the work of modeling this out in spreadsheets, right? Um, and so, you know, I do think like elections, you know, to, to say something that is like, it's so weird, this is controversial. Having elections and delegates is like, it makes a lot of sense. Like you should hire experts in these rooms who have these expertise and experiences and have devoted years to it. Uh, and in that case, I think, it, you know, it might be fair to say, okay, the person who's provided a lot of liquidity gets a lot of say over who, you know, who the expert is, but they don't get to be the expert themselves, right? Like, like we don't want them just having that power to make that decision too. And, and But I think, Dean, what you're really getting at is like long-term, what really matters here is reputation. Like, like the most important thing long-term is that like building reputation systems about who is providing value to communities and, uh, you know, who do we actually want to reward with power because of the value they provided in the past uh, as well. And financial value is like, an, is sure, that can be important for a DeFi protocol, like that is a form of value you provided, but it's, it's maybe a minor one and it's a fairly rote fungible one compared to the kind of value of good ideas, right? And so I think that, that that's really a driving thesis for what we're building too, is that when you take this on-chain data about who has won in these contests, who's contributed valuable ideas that their community has appreciated and rewarded, you're getting this incredible kind of like social graph and reputational graph of who has been valuable to these communities in a way that you can reward later, and then even give them more governance power through these contests in the future as well. So like, I yeah, 100%, I, I do think like, we can't really solve the problems. answer until we move to this world where reputation is more powerful than cash, right? Like, like that's, that's, that, that is the ultimate answer here. Yeah. And, um, I, I think that, you know, I've come to the same conclusion around elections. Like, I think that they're a good thing, you know, yeah. uh, you, you need to be able to uh, have subject matter experts. I don't want to bounce off topics too much, but I, yeah. I am curious, what was this moment where you realized tokenless governance probably doesn't work? Like what was the, like there has to be like, it, it really, it really was like at the moment where I realized we didn't need it. <laughs> like it, it, it was, it was a conversation like at the beginning of the year, um, going into Dow camp where talking to engineers and they're like, you know, you don't need tokens to do voting. And I was like, what are you talking about? I've built a voting platform based on tokens for the past year. And they're like, no, like, you know, uh, my, my co-founder, Sean, who's technical and a hundred times the genius I am, is like explaining this to me. Like, no, we don't actually need this. Like, uh, you know, if you put this into a smart contract as a Merkle tree, that, then you just check against those addresses and then people can vote with that. Like, the token is just a data wrapper that we have used because it was the easiest data wrapper we could get and it was one that was easy to financialize. But there's plenty of other ways you can do on-chain voting without a token. And I just taken it for granted because there no one had ever done it. No one had ever done tokenless, you know, um, voting systems. Every single voting system that's been devised in crypto is based on tokens, um, and so that that blew my mind. Uh, like, and I thought, and then I started working backwards to say, okay, if we don't need this thing, then like on a technical level, like, do we need it on an ideological level? And the and the answer is just no. Like, it just it, it the only reason it's there is to pump bags, right? <laughs> like, um, uh. 
in in most communities there are exceptions right like proof of stake economic security like stuff like that yes tokens matter a lot there are reasons to have them membership uh if you just want to like have minimum membership that is as as like almost an investable membership although there's legality around that it's a cool idea to have tokens too um if you want to create country clubs tokens are cool but like you know for for most communities uh it's really really i think hard personally hard to justify is there a is there a world where someone a market is created for those addresses where instead of selling your token or selling your nft or selling you're gonna have to sell your account like you had an account market in bitcoin talk like isn't anything kind of ending in as something that we can market and we can create a market around it even if it's not a token because uh, is is uh, is a, is nft governance a token governance is a soul bound token a non-movable token a token which you cannot yeah. sell right like Right, but if, you know, if you sell your account that has all the voting power based on the amount of ETH you've deposited, then you're selling an account with a ton of ETH. You know, like uh, yeah, you, you sell it. You sell it at market price of ETH plus a premium, of course. Yeah, plus a premium for the amount of governance power that it's accrued over time, right? And yeah, and you could try to you could try to sell off that account for yeah your total amount of ETH plus the governance power. Yeah, you might be able to get away with that. Um, you know, but right. And then the question is, you know, can we check who, who logged in and, and, and who got this, etc.? cetera? Um, did we materially see a change in the record? But I think like, you know, when, when people are using accounts right now, we're in a world where people are incentivized to create as many accounts as possible. Um, right. Like the friction of creating a new account is totally fine. So if you create a bot and then someone identifies you as a bot and bans you forever and never lets you perform another action on chain, it doesn't matter to you because it's it's so easy to create another bot, right? As well, but I think we're gonna like the other the other thing about reputation is that it forces a consolidation uh, in into at least a few accounts that you want to have. Maybe you want to have more than one, but I don't think you want to have that many because like the reputation you can accrue from one account, right? Through all the things you've done across all of these different platforms and the interoperability between them. Like that's going to be something that's like really meaningful to you. And so, yeah, you might give off that, you know, account plus the premium for the governance in this one protocol. But if, you know, you're incentivized to create reputation in that account for many protocols and as well, like I don't know how many people are going to want to like spend years developing a meaningful reputation for themselves based on like valuable actions and then just lose their identity and sell their identity off completely. Um, you know, it's like selling your passport. Um, it's like you're, you're now citizenless and you have nothing. Um, so, you know, when you can keep accruing value to that account. So, I, yeah, yeah I, 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 I hear that short term, but I do think like reputation is also really important to create a consolidation into like, you know, specific wallets as, as well. Yeah, it, I, I, I really like your answer because it kind of agrees with what I have in my mind when uh, like even having negative reputation is, is better than having no reputation. Like I, <laughs> I, I think a reputation, a reputation I, I model to, for, it, for it to work is... Uh, you shouldn't give me ever an incentive to throw out my passport and try to to create a new one. Yes. Well, and and uh, and, and the negative. I've, I've done something wrong. I, I mean, I, the example I always give is like woke DAO, you know, versus incel DAO. And it's like if you have positive reputation in woke DAO, incel DAO probably hates you. And if you have positive reputation in incel DAO, 
woke now probably hates you, you know? And so it's like, yeah, your negative reputation is actually really valuable because it correlates to a positive reputation somewhere else, <laughs> right? And that's like, that's really meaningful to have. Uh, it helps you identify who you want to be with and who you don't want to be with as well. That's useful. <laughs> I, I think you answer the reputa that, that reputation issue in a very, it's an anecdotal way to answer it, right? That there, someone values the negative reputation, but like, yeah. let's say yeah. in the context of, you know, we're all working together and, you know, you, you know, stole some money. Yeah. Like, we're all going to agree that in every community, we're like, other than the thieves community, which is like, oh, this guy's great at stealing money. Most communities are going to be like, okay, this guy stole money. But, but what, is, what, is, what is like every Fast and Furious movie? You know, it's like they always go and they find, you know, that guy who's in jail because he's like a thief, but he's the greatest, you know, he knows how to crack a safe better than anyone else in the world. And it's like, yeah, he's hearted and he's an asshole, but he's worth it. You know, he's that good. <laughs> Like, I think that I think like even there you're going to, you know, there will be the deep state Dow that is like, yeah, let's recruit this guy. Like, you know, we'll spare him jail time, but he's going to become like a deep informer for us. Like, because he he knows how to hack the system. <laughs> like, so the, the NSA, you'll go work for the NSA, right? <laughs> there is no action. I mean, I'm, I, I'll go along with you on this. Is there, is there no action that you're like, I mean. I don't know. It's, it's, don't it's know white hat DAO, black hat DAO. It's, it's, no, like it's I, those two DAOs, man. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to go to the streams, you know. I don't know what. Thieves DAO is amazing DAO. Yeah, they're the only ones making money in this market. <laughs> it's the most successful DAO there is. Yeah, what better, what better way to join? <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. You're, you, you know, so, some, some metrics of, of reputation uh, are more universal than others. Let's, let's put it that way. But yeah, I don't know that there's any metric that's 100% universal either. You can be right. Satanist. And there's probably not one that's 100%. Just hate you, but Satanists still love you, you know? Right. But there, I want to go back to what, what Chris mentioned, which is you never want to have a reputation system where having no reputation yeah. is more valuable that's... than having perceived and, bad reputation and and you don't probably want to have a world where your financial reputation is more important than your social reputation as well um like obviously financial reputation is really important for understanding you know can we underwrite this person for a mortgage can do we want them participating in our DeFi protocol do we want them staking a validator that kind of thing but but even those things are are social in some ways they're saying can we trust them like are they actually going to stick around right um and so i think you know Long term, if we're, if we're just creating systems based on like allotting power to how rich somebody is, like that might be okay for DeFi protocol, but that's not okay for building sustainable communities, you know, uh, elsewhere. Um, and so I do think it's really important to have the social piece because that's a trust piece as well um, to say that you can be trusted, not just, you know, as a friend, but in terms of what you do financially too. So the answer really is that, look, um... It goes back to what you said about the Fast and Furious. Even if you've yeah. done something bad, somebody's going to value that. Yeah. And you, and and I guess protocols will have to start not allowing day zero accounts to interact with them. Like it'll become a social contract across multiple protocols. That's like, 
you're at day zero. Fuck off. Right. Right. Totally. And I mean, it's like, yeah, you don't hire somebody for a job who's never, you know, they didn't graduate first grade. <laughs> like they just came out of the womb and they're applying and they have no record. Right. Like, you know, there needs to be these systems to build up reputation, too, I think, that matter. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's one hope with the contest that we're building is like you can only win a contest if you contribute something valuable um, that is voted on. And every vote is a form of attestation, right? If you participate in a hackathon, Vitalik votes for you, that's an attestation, right? Um, and it doesn't matter whether you win, you have that on-chain attestation. And you don't need an NFT badge for that. Uh, you know, you don't need an SBT. Like, you have this on-chain credential that you provided value to this community and someone else saw value in it as well. Uh, so we we have a community and we've also been part of you know a few joke races before. I oh, um, yeah. I was I was unlucky. I could never collude well enough. <laughs> Even though yeah. you know you like once I got yeah. first and I'm like fuck I got first and another yeah, time yeah, I got yeah. like third. You know. It's always at the last for anyone, second. For anyone, for anyone listening, Dean's referring to the original, uh, the original version of uh, of Joke Race, which is, as, as I said, a tool for launching contests. But the original, the original uh, where this all started was a contest that, at that point, was called the Joke Race. is now called the Joke Council Race uh, to compete over bad jokes, and you only win if you get second place. And so, if too many people vote for you, you lose, and if too few people vote for you, you lose. And so it forces everyone to kind of have to collaborate to collude and figure out like a strategy together uh, to try to get their entry to second place so that they can win. Yeah. So uh, my experience, you know, it was, it was fun. Like the, the first two weeks I was doing, it was, it was fun. Like, you know, getting into yeah. it, seeing the changes in real time. Like what I loved is that the most, uh, like there was a huge amount of uh, engagement from me in those last 10 yeah. minutes from everyone where who's going to yeah. change. And then, Oh, I wasn't able to get the transaction through. Yeah. You got to build, but team. then got to build. Team. Yeah. But at the, at the, at the time there was probably like six whale holders and then a bunch of us <laughs> minnows who could never collude to equal one whale. You got You got to, it is what it is. It was an experiment. Them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, See my um, friend. The whale's friend here. Gotta find yeah. the whale's friend. Gotta um, find the whale's friend. Yeah, yeah. So, if I was part of it then, am I also yeah. am I part of something today? I haven't checked Joe yeah. since. Yeah. Yeah. So, 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 so we're actually talking about two separate things. So, one is this weekly contest called the Joke Council uh, race for bad jokes, and so. Um, that's actually now run by the Joke Council, uh, which is I'm disaffiliated from. Uh, you know, we follow the traditional structure where you have a labs entity that is centralized company that creates tools, and then you have a decentralized DAO community, uh, you know, uh, with its own token that is disaffiliated. And so I, I can't I can't officially speak to it anymore, actually. Um, but yeah, they 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 manage that. What, what I'm building right on my side uh, is Joke Race as a, as a platform for anybody to be able to launch contests. Um, so like we, even like within the past week, we had you know, Aragon, Gitcoin, Arbitrum, Mantle, like all you know, creating contests through us. And, and for those contests, 
usually first place wins. <laughs> it's usually a little bit more boring, you know, uh, than, than, than the, the, the stupid game I created. Uh, it's actually based on, you know, trying to get to first. <laughs> and those are contests of all different How are they... Yeah, I was going to ask that. Like, are you recommending, like, certain templates of, of contests? Or, yeah. like, what do you see most people doing? Are they using a templated version? Or are they creating their own? What's the most, like, interesting yeah. contest type you've seen? So there's really just a very few variables within a contest. One is how long the submission period is. One is how long the voting period is, right? One is the prompt that you give. One is the allow list for who can submit. One is the allow list for who can vote. And then finally, if you want to add rewards, you can add a rewards pool on and divide that proportionately to winners, however you decide. So those are really the variables, right? It's really who's allow listed, how long does this run, and what rewards do we have? And it's really, you just break it down, it's really those three kind of areas are, are, are the main ones. So it's interesting because like in terms of duration, we have a default on our site for one week for submissions, one week for voting. We found that to be very you know, successful to give uh, communities a lot of time to be able to reach out to members, get them to participate, tweet about it every day, get them retweeting about it, and build momentum over the course of a week. But I will say we've also seen contests be really successful that do the opposite, where they run a contest for like 30 minutes or an hour on a live call, and it's like the first 40 minutes is submissions, and they're like all submitting their best ideas from the call, and the last 20 minutes they're all voting on their favorite ideas, right? And so, you know, it's interesting because you could have one really good template, but the opposite template might be even better, right? Um, and so that's, that's one way I think that people play with it. Um, in terms of, you know, uh, allow lists, uh, usually people are leaving it open for anyone to vote. Um, the risk there uh, is getting botted. Um, and so that's a lot of what our work right now is, is building a lot more bot protections um, as well, if, if you do decide to let anyone submit. But you could also allow list that to prevent bots and just open that up to your community if you want. That really depends on the specific use case and what they're looking for. If you're, you know, if you're looking for engagement and you want to go viral and you want as many people participating and sharing this as possible, you're going to set up your contest in a very different way than if you're really looking for like the highest quality submissions. Because if you want engagement, you want to make it as easy as possible for people to submit. And if you want really, really high quality, you probably want to make it as hard as possible for people to submit. Like you want them to have to go through you know, a lot of hurdles, prove themselves, show that they're you know, deep in the product, um, write something that's you know, really long and really meaningful, et cetera. Um, and so again, it depends on the different goals of the different communities, like what they're looking for. And, and as I said, you know, when you can decide who submits and who votes, you could have just a small core team submit and a whole community votes, which is like DAO governance. You could have a whole community submit and then just a core team votes, and then that's a hackathon or a grant. You could have a subset of one uh, or the other do it, or you could have totally separate communities do it. Um, and so that's that's where you really get to experiment with like a lot of different structures. And that's that's what I think has been really fun. As as much as there's kind of templates for engagement, um, there are no templates for like who you want to allow list, and that lets anybody create permission and create communities any way they want. Um, and that's what's really exciting is people are creating communities in really different ways, and we're getting a whole diversity of different types of communities that are flourishing through through us, um, and and that's really really cool to see. Are there any communities that, uh, despite having, like you already mentioned some, but I I, I would like to to see how how this goes. Like, uh, there are communities that already have a token and they already have a, a, a governance uh, like yep. structure and, and, and maybe they're already participating in some kind of, yep. in, in some DAO tooling, may, maybe, maybe you know, some treasury management, something, something. Uh, 
What is their impression when they when they start uh, thinking about uh, tokenless governance? Do, does it hinder yeah. their ability to reward maybe their, the, 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 the participants? Um, yeah. d- d- does it change the, the approach they have into with their token, their tokenomics? Is, do, 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 you, oh. do, you, do you expect question. a shift in, in tokenomics if we kind of remove governance yeah. from tokens? And, and, and again, I, th- I think what, what I'm excited about is that we built this toolkit for people to design however they want. So if you want to design with a token, you still can. Like, it's not as though you can't have a token through us. What you would do is you would just take the allow list of your token holders, and then those are the people who participate. And actually, if you think about that, that's also an advantage, because now you can be running your governance on any cheap L2 instead of doing on Ethereum mainnet, where it would cost you, you know, hundreds of dollars. So, um, you know... Anybody using our system, even if they have their token on something like Ethereum mainnet, they can still be running their governance on another chain for cheap, right? But but then, yeah, I think it gets down to these other questions of like, well, what if it's token time duration the token is held, right? And does that change things? Or even the example I gave of the DeFi protocol that's going to be using us and they're going to be doing, you know, based on deposits, they still will require you to have like a thousand tokens to be able to participate, so you cannot be part of that system if you don't have a thousand tokens. So there still is like a membership, you know, requirement for the token, but the token is not a basis of power within the community. Um, it just means that you have to you, you you have to have owned it in order to get membership to then participate really based on other members. I, I I really like it and and and. Uh, we need to kind of experiment in there. Like I I can't. Uh, I can't uh, imagine what kind of scenarios you've uh, you've seen with uh, communities trying to to uh, go from token governance to tokenless uh, governance. What, what what transition do you think a community needs to do? Like, what is that a community needs to change in order to transition to a tokenless governance? Yeah, I'm very also interested because I know, like maybe you know that community as well that has a token, and would love to experiment with a tokenless model. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that they need to transition to fully tokenless either. Like, um, you know, as I, as I so like the, the DeFi protocol I mentioned, right? They have a. Uh, they require you to have a thousand of their token to participate, but the token's not the basis of your voting power, right? It's not. It's just a membership, and so it's basically like, yeah, you buy a thousand tokens. That's your membership, and you know, if more and more people do this and the DeFi protocol takes off, the token price, you know, will probably go up over time. But it's not being used in correlation to the actual power that you have within the community. FWB probably really pioneered that, right? Um, and, and, and so, yeah, I think you can do stuff like that where the token is a membership, but it's not a basis of power, right? Stuff like that is, is interesting um, and still should have you know, value accrual, right, for a token potentially uh, as well. So yeah, there, there, there's lots of other options. You could also do the things I was talking about before of like, you know, it's not just your token, but how long you've held it, or it's your token times your deposits, you know? So there's other ways that you can just start playing with governance, where even if you want to include the token, you can do it in all of these other ways as well. Um, I, don't, I don't know that they have to totally get rid of the token necessarily if, if, they, if they don't want to. It's, um, I wonder it's, if... It's, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Because I had in mind a, a community where it has a token just for governance. They don't have a token in order but, to... Right, like, The chain. only reason... Yeah. Bear chain, like bear, bear chain, right? Is going to have multiple tokens. One of those tokens will, I think, I'm not, based on what I've read, I'm not, I'm not in on the project, right? And and I think like one of those will be like a governance token. I, I think the, the the issue for me with when you have a governance token, um, that's like the basis of how much votes you have. 
there's two issues. One is that you're still making voting the basis of power rather than submissions the basis of power, um, which I find slightly problematic. It's like vote, voting isn't really that meaningful a form of expression, especially in small communities. It should be your ability to shape proposals, share creative input, right? Help generate, you know, creative content, etc. So there's that piece. I, I, I think the other piece is that we focus a lot on fair token distribution and making sure tokens is not going to airdrop farmers and it's going to people who have actually contributed value and who have been meaningful. And that's cool, but it's like that's also a temporary solution because over time those tokens will eventually sell off to the richest people who buy them out. And once people have gotten the token, they're going to be less incentivized to continue doing that kind of creative work as well. Right. And so like those kinds of systems, like that's that's where I get a little skeptical that you just want to have a governance token, because even then you're financializing governance in a way that is, you know, will end up being plutocratic, even if your distribution mechanism is totally fair. Um, it just buys you time, basically, before you end up looking like every other other community does. Is uh, um, tokenless governance, does it solve the, the issue of token ap- of uh, vo- voting apathy? When, you know, we, over time you have less and less interest by voters to come and vote and contribute to the project? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, right, like, it's interesting. Like, you know, and Uniswap and Dreesen owns, like, I don't know, some, some gigantic share of tokens, right? I, I forget how much it is, but it's... It's phenomenally huge. And the thing is, Andreessen is really, I think, you know, dedicated not to abuse that power. Like, they know if they ever voted one way with all those tokens, it would look really bad. Like, it would be so clear that they were throwing the vote, no one else had any say. And so Andreessen will not do that. Like, Andreessen deliberately will delegate to people with different perspectives in order to prevent themselves from ever swinging a vote because they know it actually hurt the community to do so. But it still doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because people see that Andreessen has all that power and then think, I don't have any. Even though Andreessen's not going to abuse it, you know, everyone is still going to look and say, this is, this is hopeless for me. Like, why would I even bother when A16Z can do whatever they want, right? And so, you know, I do think, you know, voter apathy I have mixed feelings about. I don't, you know, it's what we talked about before. Do you want any random token holder making big financial decisions? Like, is that really the goal? Um, like, if anything, we should make some of these decisions harder to make. But, um, but to the extent that people don't want to get involved, yeah, I think they like look at the plutocracy and they see that they can't have any say and there's no ability for them to actually contribute meaningfully and it puts them off. Like why would why would you bother voting in these systems where it's like you're voting against something that you now have a public record of you voting no against somebody who you might want to work with in the future and your vote didn't even matter in the first place, right? Like that's even like why a joke race is designed where it's like ranked choice voting where you can only vote on things, um, you can only put your votes towards things you like, you can't ever vote against something, right? And so that really means that like, you're never voting no on something, you're just voting yes for something else instead. And it really lets you prioritize much, hopefully much better. Yeah, I I so agree on this one. I've I've said it to Dean many times that Going on chain is like going to war. You, 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 like anything you say, you're going to have to campaign. And anybody who votes no is going to drop in, in your uh, you know, trust list, maybe, or in your friends list. Expect your friends to, to, to support you, but... People, people get angry about this when, when, you know, I was saying like collusion is the basis for winning and it's like, you know, no, we need a fair system where your vote is measured objectively and, uh, you know, no one can tamper with it. Like we all have these ideals from the countries we live in, but the countries we live in were designed for 300 million people 
to all coordinate. And the best way for that to happen is for them not to coordinate. It's for them not to come together, negotiate, compromise, discuss, right? It's for them to just register an individual vote, and that's it. And, and, and when you have these communities of 100 people, like not only can you unlock them to have like more creative contribution in how they participate, but you can unlock them to actually compromise and negotiate on votes a lot in ways that should build social relationships, get them discussing it, thinking about the implications, listening to each other. Like these are not bad things, um, you know, when, when you can do all of that. And so, yeah, people get angry like, oh, it's not enough just to have a good idea. You have to go campaign for it. But like that's, you know, that means that you're building social consensus and getting people excited about your idea in a way that will get them on board to support it in the future and build social relationships to continue working with them as well, right? Like, like, is that really a bad thing? Is it really a bad thing that you have to go out and campaign and market? Um, it, it, it definitely is a necessity of the system no matter what and one that we need to get more and more used to because we're not from, you know, the kind of voting systems we've experienced at, at national scale. I think this, this ties very well in the, in the idea that where, like, not everything needs to go on chain. Maybe you don't need to have the, 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 the consensus of everybody in the community in order to pass a small decision, maybe a budget of $1,000 or $200, something small, and, and, right. and maybe you need to do, like, 20 of those proposals. Having to campaign for 20 proposals is, is something you better not do. I prefer to put them through my pocket. <laughs> so I... I, I yeah, I, it has happened. I mean, this is this is this is how it is. But uh, this ties so well into in, into it. Like you can we can you can have this adjustable kind of uh, if the proposal requires more of x amount of uh, is going to to move more than x amount of money, then everybody needs to like need a higher quorum. Uh, so. I think this ties well with tokenless governance since you can actually play better with quorum. You can uh, watch, uh, uh, you can, you can kind of kick out inactive users, which you can't do in token governance most of the times. So I, I, I think it, it improves on the model. I, I, you, you've, I don't know. You've, I've, I've, I've taken the pill. I'm, I'm with you here. Tokenless <laughs> governance. Like I'm, governance I'm trying to find reasons out. not to, to. Yeah, I'm. I'm really struggling to find reasons why. Why would you? With that, why would you need tokens? It just creates issues. Yeah, we uh, we recently because we, as I said, we've got you know our own token and we've got a DAO that we run. We yeah. recently realized you can never have a fixed supply token governance. Inevitably, you're gonna you know have to continuously vote down your quorum to where you're just like, okay, I guess we're making a new token. And then it's like, okay, what, what, what are we even doing here? Um, so we've come to that conclusion. Like the only, the only way token governance works is if the token itself is dynamic, where it can be clawed back and then rich. And you might as well be using a loud list at that point. So I think that, you know, we're philosophically on the same page. My bigger question is, when when what has to happen for us to start onboarding millions of people into DAOs into into tokenized or tokenless communities? Yeah, um, a bunch of things have to happen. Um, I think about it as an incentive issue um, above all. Like yes, there's UI UX issue, right? Like yes, it's challenging to get a wallet and to know that this thing is your identity and then to, to think that the wallet that is holding all of your money is also going to be this thing you have to be signing all of the time to use for any social interaction 
like th this is aggravating for users, right? This is not as easy as like getting a modem and connecting to the internet in the 90s. It's like you're putting all of your finances at stake every time you log into a service, right? So, so UI UX challenges I do think are real. At the same time, we've seen over and over again, if the incentives are strong enough, people will overcome those. Like if the incentives are in place, like you will have a bunch, like, you know, Axie in, in 2020, 2021 was like, you had to create two wallets, learn how to use all, both of them, be able to buy, you know, into the system before you could even use it. And you had people all across the Philippines, right, doing this. So, so as much as UI UX is definitely an important piece of all of this, as, as much as like getting pe better wallets, getting people custom wallets, letting people know they can have a wallet for social activity that's different from a wallet for financial custody, like as, as much as all that education is really important, I think I do think it comes down to incentives, and it comes down to sustainable incentives, right? Uh, it can't, you know, Ponzi's are are good for six months, but we, we need something more than that. So, I'm a big believer that there's really three types of incentives. Finan financials, one, I do think that's the basis of, you know, financial blockchains. There's a lot of really cool th things that you can build with that. I think what we're doing with rewards, you know, hopefully qualifies, and I think that is what draws people in. Like finance is the best acquisition tool you have especially against web two, which doesn't have it, but it's a bad retention tool. <laughs> like it's a good acquisition tool to get people in with money. It's a bad retention tool because then you're just getting mercenaries. And so then you really need reputation. And I personally don't think any of this unlocks until we have better reputation systems in place, um, both to be able to create the kind of communities where you can find the people you want to be part of them. You can say, Hey, I'm creating a community, you know, I'm creating my Artie Shaw community because I love 1930s jazz clarinet. And so I just want to create this community for, you know, other 1930s jazz clarinet enthusiasts. It's like, if we have a reputation system where you can find all of those 1930s jazz clarinet enthusiasts, you can create a community around them um, much more easily than you ever could, right? And so, you know, even, even in that way, like social graphs, reputation, all of that is really, really important. But it's also really important as a basis for how we're allotting power too. Um, within these systems, that you're not just giving financial power to the airdrop farmers who are the worst people to have it, but you're actually giving it to the people who you know have contributed value and have built valuable reputation too. Um, and so I think, I personally think reputation is what unlocks the next bull cycle. I think reputation is what unlocks crypto. Um, I hope what we're building is a small piece of that, um, but it can't just be us, right? And it needs to be much more than that. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's really where my hope is. And finally, there's a social incentive piece too. Like if it's fun for people to use this with each other, <laughs> that's still something we haven't unlocked. Like as, as much as we talk all the time about coordination games and communities and like collective, you know, finance and like buying the, the, the constitution together, um, crypto has been shockingly single player. Um, it, it, it has not been nearly as social as most of the games that you could be playing in web two. So those, those are the pieces I think we need. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, you know, hit the nail on the head with the reputation um, being a, a huge uh, unlock for us. Um, my last question is around friend tech. Yeah. Yeah. What's the question? I'll just leave it at that. How do you feel about friend tech? Is that, is that part of the, the future? Is that, you know, uh, a Ponzi? Is that something we've, we've done before, but you know, a better implementation? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I, all of the above. Uh, I think like, um, Buying and buying and selling your friends or, you know, like uh, buying, you know, buying a share representing your friends, seeing what your friends are worth financially is a gimmick. Um, it is fun for a week, 
to be able to find the number of how valuable your friend is the same way as it would be to like see if they're hot or not uh and then and then you have that number where they are and it's pretty boring because there's no qualitative game being played there's only a quantitative game being played and it's a novelty like how much your friend is worth right and so we see this over and over again there's bit clout right and now friend tech and like you know th this happens that you know financialize your friends is like this really great gimmick that is like a really fun one week game to play but there there isn't much beyond that and for me the the danger with friend tech is that they they have refused composability so far um if those shares could get you access to other services like if you buy those shares and that lets you that's a basis for an allow list to participate in a community, right? Um, that is like, let you know, letting you message is pretty cool, but it could be like a lot more than that, right? It could be much more than just messaging. It could be participating in these contests. It could be, you know, getting roles within a community. Um, it could be getting, you know, screen time with a person, uh, you know, like services that they offer you as well. Like then you can build something that's much bigger than OnlyFans because it's not, you could be any sort of service, right, offered based on like your ability to buy these shares. And they don't even need to build that themselves. They just need to make themselves composable so that people can build services on top of them that give them access to that. So I wrote a piece last week called the Proto App Thesis, basically saying the apps that win are the ones that people can build on top of, and then they can integrate into their front end. Friend tech could be this really amazing thing for anybody to build on top with services for what their shares enable, and then friend tech could just incorporate it in their front end. And what they did is the exact opposite of that. They built something where the, sh the, the key shares are not even on chain, right? Um, it, is, it is just like a, a private data thing for their own points. And instead of embracing composability, they've created a closed loop system. And I think they hit the hype cycle. It's going to be very hard to recreate that. And um, it's hard for me to get excited about it in its current form, but it's easy for me to get excited about it in terms of what it could be. And maybe still will be if they pivot some. But... Um, yeah, uh, there's been a lot that's really exciting about it, especially as an app builder, just in terms of what they did with PWAs, right? Privy, um, like having it, you know, on your phone, like lots of really cool UX stuff that they did that I absolutely love. Um, but the lack of composability, I think, is a killer for 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 what they're doing. I have to ask, uh, what would it take to see Joke Race being SVM compatible? I mean, even Visa has joined the party. What happens? you know, to our other EVM friends? S SVM is very hard right now. Uh, I wouldn't roll it off the table totally long term. So the, the, the structure for how Joke Race works is we're technically a no-code smart contract deployment tool. So when you are creating a contest, you are setting the parameters for a smart contract that you are deploying to any chain you're connected on in your wallet as long as it's EVM compatible. I personally would love to see some like EVM compatible Solana projects. <laughs> Uh, like, like I'm very bullish on Solana, but I'm, I, I do think EVM just has the network effects. Working in Solidity is really easy. Like, I know Eclipse is starting to move in this direction a little bit, and I really hope they, like, create some chains, right, um, where it's like, you know, you can work in EVM on Solana. For me, be a dream. I would love to see that. Um, SVM is hard because it just means recreating the whole product from scratch, right? It, it, it essentially means, like, you know, going, like, it's, it's a totally different language, et cetera. And I'm not, I'm not going to say, like, you know, it can't be done. Of course it can be done. But right now, when it takes us two minutes to add any 
new chain um, that's EVM compatible, it's going to take us months to be able to add any chain that isn't. And so that's the trade-off, because that's months away from being able to build out the features, et cetera, um, for what we're doing. So I look, I love Solana personally, and like I'm, I'm, I'm a Solana bull. Like I would, I would love to see this happen too, but it's, it's very hard with our, with our current architecture. There are plenty of projects to, that have, uh, they're working on, uh, yeah. on, on something, on some tooling like Neon Labs and, and a couple more. But uh, yep. yeah, yeah, they, you know, like, they, they, they've been there for like two and a half years, saying that they're they'll, they'll deliver, yeah. they'll deliver. That also, <laughs> I, I, everybody starts very excited, and and I think I think they 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 all crash into a wall at some point. And but it's I'm I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful. Solana needs to connect with the wider ecosystem, and it has lots to offer in terms of non-financial transactions. And um, yes, the liquidity is in EVM, but uh, transactional speed and how cheap it is. And it's a good uh, bunch of degens as well. Why not? Exactly. Also, exactly. also get uh, invited to the party. I'm, yeah, I, I could go on about all the reasons I like Solana. Yeah, so I would, I would, love, I would love to see that happen for sure. Solana, you know, for, for me, for me we, 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 we think there's this debate between composability and scalability, um, which used to be the case. And I don't actually think that's really true anymore. I think both Solana and modular stacks are scalable. That That's not really the issue. The, the trade-off is composability and sovereignty. Um, and there's a, the, the, the reason to build modular, I think, is like sovereignty, like being able to have a game with your own chain um, where you can set freemium gas prices for new users, right? Stuff like that. You can determine the block space however you want, right? Like, um, or block size however you want in order to, you know, have faster transactions for certain use cases. Like, that sovereignty is really important when you're creating, like, verticalized products for really specific use cases. But when you're creating a universal system for everybody to use, I think composability is the more important piece, especially atomic composability. People in the modular stack will tell you you can get some, maybe get atomic composability, but Solana is really right now the best project for atomic composability. Um, and like, so your ability to be able to transact anywhere in the world, remit cheaply, scale to, you know, millions of transactions per second, like long term, um, and just have like a universal financial rail, I think like Solana's cleaning up there. I think it's really good for that. I think where I'm building is on the social side, and I think that's, that's probably where the Ethereum ecosystem might end up winning because this of the sovereignty side of what you can do. Ethereum is basically just taking Cosmos's roadmap. <laughs> like Ethereum is basically just Cosmos at this point. Um, and Cosmos is increasing Ethereum too as all their new chains are EVM as well. And so those, those have kind of merged, I think, into like the sovereignty thesis. And I think there's, I love both these theses. I think they're both great. I think they're also really compatible with each other um, and really complementary. And so I always just get really frustrated when I see these two, it's really, yeah, when, when you see sides attacking each other, like, if you're really bullish on sovereignty, you should also be really bullish on composability because you need both. You know, they're, they're, they're going to complement each other. So, yeah, that's, that's my case for, for why I, I quite like Solana.